Welcome back to Sweat and Grime, everybody. I'm your host, Brian. And Rick. And we got Rick on the phone. And today we've actually got a guest for the first time coming to the podcast. We are we're going big or going home. We've got Aaron Witt on the phone. How's it going, Aaron? I'm great. You didn't you didn't tell me I was your first guest ever. Yeah, because uh, then that's a big, big deal. Yeah, if I told you you were gonna be the first guest, you'd be like, Oh, I'm not messing around with these guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well well here I am. You got me. Yeah. So, gotcha. gotcha, bitch. <laughs> we're so. striking hard. So how's life? Uh, how's life down there in Tennessee? It is absolutely lovely. I've been here about a year now, so I'm starting to get starting to get acclimated. Finally, office is open. We're in business now, so it's uh, yeah, it's, it's really good to be here. That's awesome. So That's I did I did watch your video on YouTube that you posted about the office, and I have to say, you guys have a badass office space. I appreciate it. That was the that was the goal. It took a lot more time and energy than I could have ever imagined. We had a really great designer, Molly, help us out with everything, um, and it it came together. I mean, I've I've never done anything like this before, so it was my first first shot at it. And I feel like it turned out okay for my my first go. Oh, absolutely! I'd say you fucking nailed it. Like it's legit. The whole time I was watching that video, I was like. I want to go work there. (laughs) It's a really nice office space. We're hiring. Yeah, Uh, uh, that was the goal. Um, We, you know, our, our, uh, I see the office as more of a tool than overhead. Sure. I think traditionally it's just overhead. It's just a, a line item on your expenses. Uh, But for us, our whole business is based on relationships, human capital. Uh, So to have a place where we could all come together, build relationships, it's, it's the only way we, we create a successful business, honestly. And all these businesses getting rid of their offices, I think, are making a, a massive mistake. So that's one thing that actually stuck out to me is you we have this kind of cultural shift that's happening right now in America, especially post-COVID, to where people are getting away from the office space. A lot of people are saying, look, this is a total you know misuse of funds because people can still be productive from home. Uh, people are wanting to spend more time with their families, but you've kind of 180'd from that. And you're like, no, now it's time to double down. Like, let's make this a really usable space. Um, any any particular reason why that is uh, that sticks out to you as being so important? We're uh, human beings are, are we're tribal creatures. We like to belong with one another. And when you're stuck at home on a computer screen, you start to remove that instinctual tribal desire sense of belonging that we really need as, as individuals. So everybody here, no one's required to be here. Everybody can work from home. You can, you know, you can only come in twice a week if you want to, but after we've been remote for two and a half years, we were remote well before the pandemic. Yeah. And there's, there's some nice flexibility associated with it, but there's also some huge drawbacks. You just, it's, it, it creates so much more confusion. There's, there's less trust. And as you start to build a bigger and bigger team, as we have over the past two years, it starts to just become an absolute cluster. Yeah. Um, so that it's just my opinion on it. Maybe I'm completely wrong. I don't know, but no, I, think I view it as on. humans. Yeah. Humans, humans need to be together. We all need to, to see one another every once in a while. Yeah. 
So how many employees are you up to now? Because you guys have been growing like exponentially over the last couple of years. I've kind of had my finger on the pulse, you know, for the last year and a half ish. And it seems like even in that time, you guys have really ramped up. Yeah, it, this past year's we, we we moved pretty quick. Um, I mean, we I, I admit it probably was quicker than we should have. There's been some growing pains associated with it. We're we're at about forty ish full time, and wow. then we have probably another thirty part time folks helping wow. us across the board. Wow! Um, and we're we're about to really get going. So we we've actually taken a little bit of a, a breather over the past two, three months to reevaluate where the hell we are and where we need to go. And now we're about to put our, our foot down again. Um, so it's been, it's been a lot. I mean, we tripled the size of the team in, in under a year. And with that, it comes a lot of, uh, a lot of growing pains. Sure. I think it's wise yeah. to kind of, you know, pump the gas a little bit or I'm sorry, pump the brake a little bit in, in the midst of that. I think that's a really wise decision before you hammer down again, just to kind of give those people and yourselves time to kind of get your feet underneath you. Cause that is, that's a tremendous amount of growth in that short time. It's yeah. And it's hard for me as a kid. I just want to keep just sending it. Yeah. Uh, so, so it's been a frustrating, it's been exciting because we're planning and trying to figure, we're figuring out some really cool stuff, but it's super frustrating for me as a 26 year old. Cause I just want to go, I just want to keep moving as fast as we can, but sometimes you have to slow down to speed up and, sure. uh, I've, accept, I've accepted that recently. Well, so kind of along those lines, I know you're probably tired. Of, you're sick and tired of talking about it, but, but one of the questions I had for you was along the lines of just slowing down and, and really grasping what's happening. Can you walk us through the moments as you were, you know, gently backing down the slope in your nice earth mover 259 D skid steer. And, and that mind. just, Really what I want to focus in on here, because I can only imagine how badly I would be shitting my pants in this situation. Like that initial moment where you went, this isn't going to stop tipping. <laughs> what, what went yeah. through your head? <laughs> oh, well, fortunately I'm okay talking about it because I, you know, I'm happy to admit my mistakes and this was, uh, not my best, but not my worst <laughs> mistake either. <laughs> and yeah, the, the skidster was harmed and my pants were harmed. Uh, for sure. <laughs> That's awesome. Mango tear. I just went in reverse. Tear. <laughs> it, it was just a classic. Uh, I got a little too big for my britches. Yeah. You know, it was a, a big old slice of humble pie. Thought I was better than I was. <laughs> was going a little too fast. Had the the throttle further towards rabbit than than turtle. Yep. And uh, just gave it the beans going down a hill and toppled the damn thing on its on its roof. So, um, so break it down. I want to go even, even more micro than that. I'm talking like that there, there's a, there's a moment, there's a very, very clear moment as you're in that cab to where you realize that you're no longer controlling what's happening. That, that five what, minute of rollover that happened in like 15 seconds. Yeah. Like less than that, even it was probably three seconds before you were on your, on the, on the top of your cab. But at the same time in your mind, it probably felt like 15 minutes. So what was the initial thought there when you suddenly realized that you're no longer controlling the machine? Uh, really just, Oh shit. I, I mean, it was just, <laughs> there's no other way to say it. So yeah, I mean, I was, I was backing down the slope a little too fast. I had my bucket up and not, not all the way, but up enough obviously. And I had dirt in the bucket. So my center of gravity was, 
much higher than it should have been. I should have had my bucket a lot closer to the ground, hit a little bit of a soft spot. And then the thing just kind of slowly rolled back and rolled all the way over onto its roof. Seatbelt, I was, I had my seatbelt on. So if, if nothing else, wear your, wear your damn seatbelt. I, I know people don't always wear their seatbelt. I've always been really diligent about it because I've heard enough people getting killed from rolling things over and, yeah. and not having their seatbelt on when they should have. Uh, had my seatbelt on, was good to go. And then after the oh shit moment, I went right for the key because I know if you roll a machine over, you want to turn the damn thing off. Yep, so I turned it right. off as quickly as I could and then tried to figure out how to get out. So uh, I think last time you and I talked on the dirt, uh, you it was actively in with Cat and they were trying to figure out exactly what's going on. Have you officially gotten the verdict on on the damages? Yeah, shout out to Thompson, Thompson Machinery, my local cat dealer. They've been awesome uh helping me get this thing fixed it's it's funny because you know it seems like a big deal but to caterpillar they see it all the time sure and and so to them it's just like getting the oil changed it, it almost seems like business as usual which yeah. is kind of funny yeah um so the the turbo is screwed up and the dpf is screwed up but otherwise everything's good to go engine's yeah. good not a single piece of broken glass we're, we're going to be back in business pretty soon it's kind of hard to get the oil to the turbo yeah, in an down. inverted position. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Running wide open yeah. at seconds. Yeah. <laughs> oh, hey, yeah. glad yeah. you're so okay, the, yeah, man. The, glad you lived through there's it. There's no more engine oil. The, the oil went all the way through the turbo, you know, and then uh, filled up the DPS. Oof. So I got I got the report back when they initially got it. And one of the funniest notes on there was engine oil on rear window. And it's like... <laughs> If that's one of the reports, you, you know, you know, something is fucked up. <laughs> All right. So, Jesus. yeah, that's, I, it is funny because what you just said is a really good point for, I, I know you've caught a lot of shit for this online. Um, at, yeah, there's been a lot of people that have been super supportive, obviously, but there's also, it's the internet, they're full of haters and you've caught a lot of shit for it. But what you said is totally true. At the end of the day, the only reason this blew up as big as it did is because you have, a presence and you're a personality online and you kind of put yourself out there to, you know, have the, the spotlight shown on you. Uh, but this is a relatively regular occurrence. Now where I do have to give you like full points is I, like the, I almost thought you guys intentionally did it when I first saw the picture. Cause you landed that fucker on the roof. Like it's not like it tipped over and landed on the back the, the back panel or you tipped it over and then it rolled onto its side. Like you squarely put that fucker on its roof. Like you had done it intentionally. I have to give you points for that. You should almost get credit there. <laughs> Style there, points. You know, there were a lot of, a lot of operators that reached out saying, I'm actually, I'm, a, I'm impressed you did that. Yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't know how the hell you did that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just, just for you to ride yeah. it over. Like the reaction time for me of tipping over, I have had so many close calls and wet my seat moments that, you know, I've just hit the flow button, slammed the bucket down for you to actually just ride that sucker all the way over that quick and land it. Like, that's just it's a impressive. bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays <laughs> off for him. You always hear you always hear about it, but you never get somebody in person to talk about it. Right. Yeah. You always see the videos and the clips and, you know, it might make the news or hearsay. But to get someone actually on it and hear their point of view and the way it happened, what what the outcome was, it's pretty fun perspective to look at. Well, and that, I, like we need more of that. I, I, and that's what I'm trying to do. I, that's why I wasn't all that afraid of, of sharing it online. You mean there's like a 3.0 Aaron rollover? Well, I, <laughs> I, I, 
I just I gave up on the whole trying to act like I know what I'm doing sure. thing a long time ago. Thank and you. and when you admit I don't know, like I have no idea what I'm doing, then okay, yeah, I, I rolled a machine. I made a mistake. This is what I learned. Okay, cool. Like I, I I've already admitted that I don't know what I'm doing. So what are you going to say? I don't know what I'm doing. Like yeah, yeah I, right. I, I've already said that. I agree with you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. And then you get more followers. They're like, we can't wait to watch this happen again. Yeah, that's yeah. the thing. Yeah. Now, how many of your followers are actually waiting for failure? They're not actually there for the success. That's the big question now. <laughs> well, the, the funny thing was, though, almost all the comments I got were, were really, really positive. Yeah. Um, everybody, everybody was very positive about it. And that's what I love about this industry is uh, mistakes are okay. And, and we all make mistakes and, and that's fine. And let's talk about them. Let's not just brush them under the, the rug and act like we're all perfect. Um, right. so it was, it was really positive. I was actually surprised how well received it was. And, and that's again, where I have to give you like true kudos, not, not really giving you a hard time is, uh, you have been very honest, very upfront, uh, at admitting not only the mistake, but the lack of knowledge that led you to being there. Like you've been very transparent about the whole thing. And I'm, I'm 100% with you. The industry needs more of that and, and less of this machismo, like, I don't ever fuck up. I don't ever mistake, make a mistake. And then Review if you intro. make a mistake, I'm going to drive you into the ground. Like, that's that's not acceptable. And unfortunately, that's commonplace in the industry. And that's where, like, the whole, I don't know, this is where I'm conflicted right now with the whole safety thing is I get the whole zero accident mentality. <clears throat> but then also you're, you're trying to eliminate failure from the equation. And there's also value to failure. <laughs> If it's, if obviously no one's hurt and, and in this case, no one was hurt. I was wearing my seatbelt. If you're wearing your seatbelt and machine, you roll it over. You're going to be good to go. They're designed to roll over. That's there. That's why it's called a rollover protection system, a rock. Sure. Like it's yep. designed to do that. Um, so sure. The machine was hurt and there's some financial implications to it, but it was a really good lesson. I couldn't have learned otherwise. And there's value in that. And, and would I have preferred to not make the mistake in the first place? Absolutely. But it's just, I, and I don't know the answer, but I've been questioning a lot of safety principles right now because it's all grounded in everybody's perfect all the time. And that's, I, I don't know if that does us a disservice or not. I'm just not sure. Well, most, it's not most of it though, man. Most of all that though, like all our learning experience and how we became such professionals in the trade and with the experience and the vast knowledge was close calls and fuck ups. Yeah. Right? And yeah. I was, I was going to say that's, that's kind of part of the problem with this whole uh, safety <laughs> is absolutely paramount. And if you have any sort of an accident, you're, you're out. Um, you're never going to eliminate accidents. That's why they're called accidents. And there's a huge difference between having an accident because of normal job site operations versus being reckless and cocky, arrogant, and dumb. And that's where I feel like we don't recognize the difference between the two. It's that's just, if there's an accident, though. you're out. Yeah. When I wasn't, I wasn't being an asshole. I wasn't trying to intentionally roll a machine that I had saved up 10 years to go buy. Sure. Like, I, I, fuck like I, I i power wash the thing after every use and for no reason i just i i'm just very proud of this machine i've always wanted one since i was a kid you i've just I've testing worked. the capabilities <laughs> yeah and, and exactly. it is always good to yeah. power wash your machine when you've got dirt on the top of it <laughs> yeah, exactly 
Yeah, but it's, it's like people people thought I intentionally did it for views on the internet. It's like, no, absolutely not. I, I, I clearly did not want this to happen, but here we are, and I'm going to talk about it. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you another thing that I talk about all the time on my channel, and and this absolutely plays into the, the whole point that you're making about getting an education. I talk about as you progress through your operator career, the way that you continue to get better at your craft is you do start to get out of your comfort zone more and more and you start to push the limitations of the machine. That's how you learn yeah. the limitations of the machine. And if you don't do that, you kind of stagnate in your operational abilities. Now, the natural consequence of that is if you make a wrong call or you're really pushing the limits and you make, you know, a, a simple mistake because you're riding right on that line, there is no forgiveness and an accident is going to happen, but you're only there because you are a highly skilled operator that is pushing that machine to the limit. And it's just a numbers game on when your short straw is going to get drawn and, and you have some sort of a rollover. And like you just stated, if no one's hurt, if you were in a, in a responsible position to where, you know, outside of the machine, having some damage to it, everything's good. In my opinion, I'm with you. I don't think that should be something where you have to get nailed to a cross for it. No, well, and the, the, and the, potential. The, the, the funny thing is, it's like the, you know, people, okay, so so say you go create $100,000 worth of damage, uh, God forbid, uh, while working for a company. The company's going to fire that individual, so then they still have to pay the $100,000. Yep. So they just paid for $100,000 of, 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 of lesson learned, and then they're going to go give another company in the marketplace the benefit of that lesson learned Yes, yeah. by firing the guy and, and having him go to another company. It, like Clearly, he's learned his lesson. Clearly, he didn't want to do that. Clearly, he's never going to do it again. So he'd be way better off at your company. Okay, great. I paid the $100,000 lesson. Cool. Like We're not going to do that again, are we? Absolutely right. not. Check. But, but you're, you're like just the, the stupidity of, of firing these people and letting them, letting your $100,000 investment just walk out the door, it just doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, but it's an ego thing for the employer. They're pissed off. They got to spend the money, right? And they're just yep. at that time, they're doing something on an impulse and they're just ticked. So I'm, I'm with you 100%, man. That's one of the best learning curves that guy is ever going to get. It might have been a huge mistake, but at the end of the day, I mean, if you're not pushing the machines to the extreme, not overworking them, but putting them right to their capabilities, you're not getting a full-blown production. I mean, I can't tell you how many closed calls I've ever had of almost rolling a excavator over or dropping a pipe on a guy or, you know, there's such closed calls and you learn. And if you don't learn, then obviously you're, you're doing something wrong. But a lot of times you can learn from other people's mistakes just by watching. So yeah, that documentation is huge. And like yeah. you said, that hundred thousand dollar education, you know, that guy just seriously got some great seat time and some serious experience that he's probably going to set up a little bit differently. Maybe go at it a little bit different with a little bit more common sense than throwing the next guy in that is going to repeat what happened from operator one. Exactly. Yeah. And kind of along those lines, I think, I think businesses in the dirt world need to start thinking about these sort of situations, you know, and, and this is a prime example. Like you said, you weren't doing anything stupid and dumb. You were just, it was lack of experience and it was a, a giant learning experience and no one got hurt. There was a little machine damage, you know, that's where those sort of accidents need to stop being treated as, as 
now that we have this giant liability on our hands and it needs to be looked at exactly like you were just talking about, Aaron, it needs to be an investment in your, in your people. Like, because, because the other thing is you're not the only one that learned from that lesson, right? Aaron, I'm sure you've got a bunch of guys in your company that don't have any real seat time in these machines that were able to witness the lesson you learned. Correct. Uh, it was the first thing I did was on the company call. I said, Hey, you know, I'm sure most of you guys have seen what happened over the weekend. I rolled the, I rolled the skid steer and, and I used it as uh, they're not operators, but I used it as a really valuable lesson to, to show them that, Hey, it's, it's okay to screw up. Like I, I have my name on the company and here I am. I screwed up. I made a mistake and this is what I learned from it. And just that alone is a huge teaching tool and, and something that's, that's really valuable. And I've learned as a leader, it's, it's really important to admit when you're wrong, it's really important to admit when you Absolutely. make those mistakes because it, it, it shows your people, Hey, it's, it's okay to screw up here. And you know, we're out to go help reform an entire industry. Are we going to, we're going to be perfect while we do it the whole time. Absolutely not. We're going to screw everything we possibly can up and we need that to be okay because that's how we're going to make progress. Yeah. So that's how, that's how I framed it to the, to the company as well. Well, why do you think OSHA has all these rules and regulations and laws? It was from everybody's mess up learning curves. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. uh, one of the things I kind of wanted to go down is, uh, you've talked about it in several, several different places on the internet, but, but at the same time, if you don't know where to look, it's hard to find. So could you give us, you, you just kind of stated that you've got kind of a, a limited background actually in the seat of a machine. How did you kind of get into the industry? And then from there, how did you morph into, uh, this really unique business that you've created? Well, yeah, I, if anybody's listened to the interview so far, they know I have limited experience in the seat of machines. Um, I, so I, I grew up in a, a, a well-off part of, you know, Scottsdale, Arizona. Um, everybody's dad was some businessman. My, my dad was a, a tax attorney at a, a very large, large firm, global firm. And I, I, so I grew up around business people and I, I loved business and I, I listened to all these conversations since the time I was five, six years old uh, until I was, was in high school. Uh, so I always knew I wanted to be in business. I, I, I realized that I had the opportunity to go do anything. And, and, and more importantly, I better go pick something that I really enjoy and really gets me excited. Um, so I evaluated my life and, and, I was at the time going and checking out construction sites after, after school and thought, why don't I go get a job in construction? I freaking love this stuff and I want to be around it more. So yeah. to be around it more, I need to get a job in it. And I was lucky enough to have parents that weren't telling me to do anything. And when I told them I'm going to go work in construction, they said, cool, sounds good to us. Um, That's awesome that they were gift. supportive of that. Yeah. They were just like, okay, sure. So I go get a job as a laborer. Um, I go to school for construction engineering. I, the goal was always to start a construction company. So I wanted to go get as much experience as I could while I was in school. So I worked for five different heavy civil contractors while I was in school. Uh, graduated, went to work in road construction in Texas afterwards. Um, Where at in Texas, by the way? Ooh, I was in, nerve. in Fort Worth. Fort Worth. Okay. I'm, I'm originally from Austin. Okay. Awesome. I, I did Fort Worth for a little bit and then uh, Houston for a little bit. Gotcha. Okay. Um, 
so, so that was the plan. I wanted to go start a construction company. I wanted to go move dirt. I wanted my name on heavy equipment. And it, it was just really a, it was an ego thing, which I'm, I'm okay admitting. And <laughs> it was a, um, it was, it was just like a selfish endeavor. I, I, I just wanted to be around equipment more. And, and I wanted to be able to run equipment whenever the hell I please without asking anyone's permission. Yeah, and to do yeah. that, I needed to start a construction company. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the thing was, uh, when I started to go work in construction, I, I noticed that, that I, I was looking at social media like, man, I want to use this for something. And I, I want to create some kind of brand and, and tell my story. So what is my story? Okay, well, I'm a young guy in the construction industry. There, the quality of storytelling is, is relatively low. And so I think I can make a difference here. So I started sharing day to day what I was doing in the construction industry, what I was learning along the way online. It started to really grow. Um, I went to go work for a software company for a brief amount of time. I, I got frustrated with it. So I said, I uh, screw this. I'm going to go do my own thing. I'm going to go take pictures and try to get paid for it. Yeah. Bulldozers. And, and how and old so are you at this point? Um, it was like eight months out of college. So I was just, it was my 23rd birthday technically when I went out on my own. Wow. That's great. And so from there, it just kind of slowly morphed into what it is now. How did you kind of get going down the path of, okay, I'm like, we're legit going to fire up a media company that's going to tell stories for companies. Right. What do you envision? By just doing, I, I wish I could say I have always had this grand vision and in this master plan I've always been working towards and I have everything figured out, but I, I don't, it, it's really, there, there's no magic potion. There's no silver bullet here. It's just, I started traveling around and going to job sites around the United States, taking pictures. And then I saw that people needed websites. So we started doing that. And then people wanted videos. So we started doing that. And then we created a media company and now we're starting to get into training and development, which is the next big push because I see a, a big opportunity there. So as I've traveled around and, and just worked, I mean, it's been past 45 days, probably 20 states. It's, it's just all I do is travel the United States, have conversations, visit job sites, and I've got to know the industry more intimately than most people have in the past three years. And through that, those experiences, I've started to really understand the bigger picture. What are the problems here? And how can we build a business to solve those problems? So the goal was never, the, the only thing that's really remained the same is our, our mission, make the dirt world a better place. That's always been the same. So the mission was never to go build a awesome media company focused on dirt. It's to make the dirt world a better place. So whatever yeah. we need to do to cater to that mission, accomplish that mission, we're going to go do. Um, so we're, 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 going full bore in media right now. We're growing that business even more aggressively than we have before, but now we're going to get into software and consulting and training and, and all sorts of different stuff. So, so I do have a question for you just, just because I know, so my success is very limited compared to the success that you've had and you are, uh, you know, significantly younger than Rick and I are. And so I know, are you familiar with imposter syndrome? Uh, yeah. So, I, I've always been curious in your shoes, having the success that you do at the age that you're at uh, in this industry that is full of just these, you know, let's be honest, there's a lot of giant assholes in this industry that are just super salty to deal with. Uh, do you find yourself battling imposter syndrome? 
so since I since I grew up with a lot of really powerful people, it, it, it's just been normal to me my whole life. Yep. Um, and so dealing with all these executives and this and that, I um, very rarely do I ever question it. I, I just view it as like I'm hanging out with my friend's dads, which yeah. I've always done. <laughs> um, and, and but then there's there's been experiences lately where like hanging out with Jocko or even just sitting in the room with our executive team, our leadership team now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I ask myself all the time, like, what the fuck am I doing here? Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> I don't like, I don't, I don't have, I, I, I really don't have anything to add to this conversation. Like these people are so much smarter than I am. It's not even like a humility thing. It's a, uh, uh, just a fact. Like I'm, I'm really, I don't know what the hell I'm doing, but thank God I have all these people that do. So yeah, every once in a while, I, I, I kind of work through that. That's that's something that's been kind of interesting because I've even, so I, before I even started down this road of doing anything with media, uh, I was in the field for about 10 years running equipment. And, you know, like I said, even being older, even having spent more time in the industry, I still even sometimes sit down and I'm like... Why am I even putting together this video? Like, I'm not an authority here. But at the same time, I'm kind of with you that, you know, once you kind of think through that, the need of the industry uh, is just so bad right now for, for, you know, getting people into the industry, for changing the mentality of the industry that, you know, you just kind of push through and go, no, it doesn't matter if someone's going to call me out because they think that I don't know what I'm talking about. Like this needs to be done and we need to move forward kind of collectively as an industry. And this is my small part. Yeah. The, the funny thing, I guess where it's come up lately is, is our podcast dirt talk. Mm-hmm. We've, we've, for, we've for, for whatever reason, we've become an authority on the whole workforce development subject in the industry right now, which is the <laughs> hot topic, of course. Yeah. Yep. And, and, and every time we're asked these questions, I'm just like, ah, I don't take whatever know. I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. 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 Take, take what I'm saying with a grain of salt. Cause I don't know anything and I am in the same boat you are. Um, so that's been a little odd, but I guess it's cool at the same time. Yeah. Well, I think there's a lot of interest in the diesel you know, you start getting around that heavy equipment. There's something to be said when you hear something fire up and you get behind a seat of something. And just like the manliness that just comes out of pushing earth or moving earth kind of thing. And everybody, I think, is fascinated with it as they see it, as they look around driving through, you know, the country. But until they actually get to be around it and see something perform, like there's nothing wilder than seeing like a D6 or D9 just push earth. And let alone be the guy behind oh, yeah. the seat. So I think a lot of the stuff too is getting the people the opportunity, not, you know, the stuff is intimidating. You say it in front of the blade and it's 10 foot tall, you know, it's a little intimidating, yeah. but you get the opportunity for these people to get in the seats and actually get to be around it and realize that you're not going to get hurt. If this thing does roll over, you know, as you experience like the safety precautions are there everything's in place. But when you get looking at the opportunity, if you could get the people to take that step and realize that there's such a demand and huge opportunities and the pay that could come along with it, like there's just endless opportunities. But I think a lot of people just got to get in front of it and see that there's, there's a demand and that we need them out there. Well, that's, uh, and that's what we're trying to do is how do I, how do I do that at scale? And so originally it was, 
okay, I can't take take society out on the mine sites, but I can go out there and I can capture images that somewhat uh, tell stories and, and capture the scale of, of these operations. So a lot of my images, I try to humanize the industry and then just make the industry relatable to normal people that don't understand the, the size and scale of these operations. Uh, but then it's like my skid steer. Like, why did I buy that? I, I, I bought it because I, I wanted to have a machine that I could screw off in and, and just, um, just relieve some stress every once in a while. That's but what she said. More... Exactly. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm going to fire exactly. off the sound effects. I just enjoy it too much. <laughs> hey, it's your podcast, man. Um, uh, but, but I, 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 you know, it's fun for me to operate it, but it's a lot more fun for me to watch someone who's never been in a machine operate it. Yeah. And, and every time my friends come into town, when my mom, my brother, my sister were here, they were in it. I'm trying to put everybody I can in that machine and in our company, you know, we hire a lot of creatives that have never been around equipment before. So at every company meeting, we rent equipment and say, go for it, you know, wiggle the sticks, put your seatbelt on and have some fun. <laughs> and, uh, that, that to me is way more fun because you can see a, a switch flip and, it and turns they're, us they're, all into a kid again. Yeah, exactly. A big exactly. Kid. Everybody loves it. Men, women, children, just across the board. It's just cool. Yeah. So, you know, you talking about workforce development, that is one of the biggest topics in the industry right now, just because I think more than anything else, the industry in so many ways has taken giant leaps and bounds forward from, you know, technology to machine capabilities to productivity. Uh, you're just able to accomplish so much more these days with so, so fewer resources. But at the same time, it's, you know, across the trades, we are dying for people. And so I think that is why that's such a hot button topic. What are your thoughts on, you know, how do we address this issue, not just in the dirt world, but across the trades in general? Man, if I had an answer, I would, I would be a lot wealthier than I, <laughs> I am right say, now. That I was a pretty you. loaded question, oh. man. <laughs> you know what? It's going to provide some good discussion. That's, that's all I'm looking for. I don't need the answer, Aaron. No pressure. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it really starts with, and we're, we're big Jocko Willink fans and, and him and Lace Babin wrote a book, Extreme Ownership, uh, one of the best books I've ever read. And it's all about how every problem is your problem. And, and I think the industry first needs to recognize that the workforce problem is their problem. Yes. No one's coming to save us. No one else gives a shit about us. And it's a very sobering thought. And it's something, it's like a bitter pill I've had to swallow in business too, knowing that I'm, I'm out here and it's just me. And if shit hits the fan, that's on me, man. Like yeah. no one's coming to save the day. And uh, it's scary at first, but then it's, um, it's almost relieving because you realize, holy shit, this really is up to me. And, and I'm in control here. And I think that's where the industry needs to go first is just accept and recognize that this is our problem to solve. So even if colleges are taking all of our great people and even if people don't want to work and even if millennials are lazy, cool. Like even if all of that is true, awesome. Like, and then what? Yeah. What are you going to do about like, it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So millennials are lazy. Sure. I agree. Oh, great. Uh, so how does that fix your problem? Like uh, we're just going to sit around and bitch about it or right. are we actually going to, try to meet them where they are and try to figure out how we adapt our business 
to, to work more uh, with them than, than the old dogs. And how do we marry up the old dogs with the, the young bucks? And, and, and how do we, how do we um, develop our people further? And, and okay, cool. I can't find, uh, shoot, experienced people don't exist anymore. Okay. I'm just going to say Check. that. Like, yeah, that, that, like, that's agreed upon. Okay. So if that's reality now, how do I go create the experience I need within my business? And it's going to take more money. It's going to take more effort. It's going to take potentially changing up the status quo to make happen. But the industry doesn't have a choice. And, and these companies, this is arguably, I mean, I don't even know. This, this could be one of the biggest turning points the industry has faced in a very, very long time. And yeah, it's going to be think, like the Great Depression and the trades. Like when you look yeah, at it all, and, it, and that's, it, that's the whole biggest turn of it all. I mean, you're hitting key points and real world conversations and the issue as a whole. I mean, that's why Brian and I kind of got started doing what we're following is we actually just want to get our knowledge out there and help, like not just get the people in the trade, but the, the vast knowledge of the years of experience that we have trying to get out there and inform people and help them and teach them and get it in. Like it's dying. And there's a lot of that know-how yeah. that you could only YouTube so much and you could only sit there on the sidelines until you need the people with the knowledge to be on site, in present, helping people through situations and, you know, teaching, hands-on teaching. You can't just watch the video every day. You can't just watch from the sidelines. Like, you got to be in the shit, balls deep, in the trenches with guys that know what's going on. And it's exactly. gonna be it's gonna then, be a huge depression of everything, and it's gonna be like the the lost cause. You know, we need this. Well, we need the infrastructure in the building. We have no know how. But 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 you can look at it from a positive angle, which I do all the time. A lot of people do. It's oh yeah. Industry, I feel like, but then but then there's also that that's the opportunity at the same time. That's so it. traditionally speaking, this is a very capitally intensive industry. Can I go kick the shit out of a kiwit? No, because Kiwit has tens of billions of dollars and tens of billions of dollars in equipment and assets and offices and just just the extent of their capabilities and all these big contractors. They're they're crazy. But if they can't figure out the people thing, none of that is going to matter. Yeah. So now and this is probably the single greatest opportunity a young business owner has had in this world until now is. If I am a young business owner, if I can figure out this whole people thing, or if I am third generation taking over a hundred year old business and I can reinvent the business to figure out this whole people thing, I am going to go clean house, man. Just yes. dominate. Even if I am at a significant advantage from a capital perspective. And is it going to happen overnight? No, but just watch next five, 10, 20 years. It's going to be a huge shift regardless of how successful these companies have been. If they don't get it, they're going away. There's just no way around it. It has been interesting. Just, you know, we are an industry of doers. That's literally what the trades are. We It's a bunch of people that go out there with their hands and they get, they get shit done. And yet when it comes to this manpower problem and this recruiting problem, uh, everyone's just kind of waiting for someone else to do something about it. This is one of the few areas that, that contractors are just not willing to take strong initiatives on. I mean, it's kind of, it, this, it's always worked the way we've done it and we're not going to change is the attitude, even though we've been proving for the last, you know, probably decade that 
that's not working. It hasn't been working for, for easily a decade now. It has not been working, yet no one's really taking the next step to address the problem. That's, I guess, one of the more interesting aspects of this dynamic that I see. Well, just, just watch us over the next few years because we're, we're about to start seriously addressing it and offering a solution. But uh, I don't blame them because they're making more money than they've ever made before right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I'm making record profit, record revenue, why, why would I go change? And, and they know they need to change, but there's also not really pain to do so. You, you act based on pain or pleasure. Yeah. And this is going to be a pain type situation. So until these contractors really start to feel pain, until they until they can they, they can't bid work, until they start missing deadlines, until they they can't deliver for their customers that they've been delivering for for fifty years anymore, until they have yards full of trucks and equipment that they can't find operators and drivers for, they're not going to start to change. However, that is starting to happen right now. That is starting to happen right now. There's trucks all over the United States parked. There's equipment parked. There's deadlines being missed. There's DOTs not letting work right now because of because of the workforce problem, and it's only starting. Yep. So once the pain starts to set in, I think contractors are going to start to act. That's a great point. I think people, I mean, they got to start investing in the employee. Without an employee and a value in the employee, you have nothing. So you need to start, like the cost of living constantly keeps going up, but they go, this operator, he's only making $25 an hour. I don't see why I can't fill his seat. But down the road, you know, they could get $30, $32 an hour. So people are having to jump around instead of investing, instead of teaching and passing everything on to fill those seats and fill that void. Like, I, I'm i 100% with you when you start saying it's pain or pleasure because the CEO doesn't want to let any more money go. He likes the way he lives. He likes everything that he has. But without those employees in place and taking care of them as a whole, I mean, the big guys got it going on. They got it figured out. They're offering lots of benefits. They're constantly giving bigger pay raises and cost of living. And I mean, that's, you got to have a sense of purpose and a value for these people, you know, and times are changing and it needs to happen. Absolutely. And I, I really don't believe that humans have really been truly viewed as a resource or, or, or when they are, you know, they are, I, I, I'm painting with a really broad brush here and I don't want to be too that's, that's overly right. critical. It's just, we've never had to look at them as a proper and true resource. We've just treated them as, and I just talked about this the other day. It's like, how are, how are jobs estimated by man hours? That's it. It's not human beings. It's not crews. It's not Alan, Jeff and Jose. It's man hours. That's it. It's a unit of measure, production. That's all people are. They're just like equipment. And uh, I think we need to completely reframe how we view human beings and how we treat human beings. And, and I'm reading a book, and the title right now is, is, is What You Do Is Who You Are. So every company will say our people are number one. Our people are number one. But how many companies are actually doing in accordance with that belief, very, very few. And it doesn't matter how many times you say people are number one. If you're not actually making people number one, you're not actually doing things to make your people number one, then they're not number one. That's it. A hundred percent agreed. And that's, that's just a phenomenal point. And I think, I think the skilled trades wasn't valued for a long time too. Back 
you rewind back when we were growing up, getting into the trades in college, like the trades was always looked at as you couldn't make it in the real world and you couldn't go to college. So go ahead and go to the trades. Like you can't hack it here and go be a teacher, a lawyer, a doctor. You know, you're going to make a killing living and this this whole industry got overlooked, but yet they needed us there to build the infrastructure. There's houses, everything else. And now all of a sudden they're like, oh, there's a labor shortage. Oh, there's a material shortage. Oh, there's, we're not building everything fast enough. Well, we, we walked away from the trades. We walked away from valuing the people that we needed there. Cause you can't just count on that machine to be there. I mean, I think, I think that's the biggest industry as a whole that eats up so many people and gives so many opportunities to everybody to be a part of something bigger. That's always going to be a demand that's going to be there. The infrastructures, the oil fields, the mining. I mean that we need so many people for the consumer goods and that's, well, that's the biggest yeah, value. It's, it's essentially future proof, <laughs> a, a tr- true tr- craftsmanship. Sure. And that, there was a, there's a guy, uh, I, I might've been Jack Ma, you know, this Chinese billionaire and he's got into a bunch of trouble and I don't know, Chinese government stuff. But, but years ago they asked him, what are you, what are you having your kids learn? What, how are you teaching your kids and, 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 and what are you getting them exposed to? Are they, are they coding? Because that, that seems to be the future. And he said, absolutely not. All the coding and everything like that, that's going to eventually become artificial intelligence. Yeah. We're just going to be able to figure that out. It's not going to be human beings. I instead am teaching them how to play instruments, how to create, how to, how to, how to recreate, how to, how to think, how to be, just how to be creative and how to have tangible skills because that's something a computer's never going to be able to do. And that's our industry. And someone who can operate a bulldozer and build a golf course with a dozer without GPS, that's art. Yeah. And that's something that's never going to be taken from us. And if you can figure that out, you're essentially insulating yourself. And, 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 and you know, maybe you're, you're in the trades right now and maybe you don't have that core skill set. And it's, it's great motivation to figure out how to develop it because if you can develop it, if you can make yourself that valuable and that skilled and an absolute artist to what you do, you're, you're, you're never going to go anywhere. It's just, it's future proof. It's funny. That's one of the big questions that I get asked relatively frequently on the YouTube channel is, uh, is it still worth going into this industry with, you know, AI coming along at the rate that it is. And consistently, I just, I, it's not even a hesitation. It's like, yes, it is 100. Like a computer will never be able to get on a, a ridiculous slope with a dozer and be able to cut that grade in. It can't calculate all of the things that are happening that you have to think about that come from literally years of seat time, being able to read what's happening underneath the tracks of that dozer. Same with, you know, laying pipe next to all your laborers down in the hole. A computer is never going to be able to be be able to watch the banks for cave-ins. It doesn't know how to watch for the the signs of disturbance if that bank starts to give way and it's not going to be able to account for all the people. Like AI is never going to be able to 100% take over the skilled trades. That's why it is the skilled trades. And no. go ahead. Well, I, I've, I've met with the AI companies. I've met with them, like Bill Robotics. Those guys, fantastic, out in San, in San Francisco. They, they're the first ones to acknowledge that. They're the first ones to say, listen, we're not trying to take people's jobs here. That's not what these machines are designed to do. These machines are designed to go sit and dig 100 miles of gas line 
in a straight line out in right. the middle of nowhere right. 24 hours a day so that the skilled operators can do the hard shit yeah. that the machines yep. can't do. Yeah. And, and, and if we can go take, put a machine doing, doing the tasks that operators don't want to be doing, like, do you really want to be digging the same trench for hours and hours and days and day? The repetitive shit sucks. I mean, for most people, some operators love the repetitive shit. Most people don't because there isn't much of a challenge to it. It's just the same thing over and over. And over. If we can, if we can somewhat automate those repetitive tasks, now our skilled operators can go do the skilled stuff. And now our skilled operators can go make more money and deliver more value. Yeah. And so that's their argument is like, we're not taking people's jobs. We're trying to automate the repetitive stuff and which is actually going to wait, raise wages in the industry. We're actually yes. everybody's friend here. Yes. We're just another tool. Well, yeah, I mean, just that's a, that's a great point actually is at the end of the day, you are now increasing productivity with the same number of people, which means there's more money being made with the same amount of people. Well, as we're already seeing, it's it, that's this is another interesting thing. Just all of the interesting dynamics that are happening in life right now, because we've already had this kind of uh, labor shortage in the skilled trades, but now you've got an overall wage increase that we're seeing as a result of COVID and the stimulus and everything. Um, it's just kind of a perfect storm that I think. I think as this technology continues to get better, we are absolutely going to see those wages translated down to the front lines. It's not something where the company, the corporations themselves are going to hold on to them. Uh, I think ultimately it absolutely will trickle down into the pocket of the operators because we are able to accomplish so much more with relatively the same workforce. Exactly. And the companies aren't going to have a choice but to pay people more. Sure. It's just wages are going way up across the board right now because they have to. That's just the, it, you need to do it for the sake of being competitive right now. So that's a, that's actually a question I have for you. I, I kind of have always had this kind of back of my mind prediction that I kind of throw out there every once in a while. And I don't know how accurate the number is going to be at all, but over the next 10 to 15 years, do you, do you have thoughts, especially with how involved you are with so many of these companies? Do you have thoughts on, on what wages in the dirt world are going to do over the next 10 to 15 years due to this workforce shortage? Just go way up. Do you have any feel I for mean, that? Um, I mean, it's happened very aggressively over the past six months. I mean, I couldn't tell you what I'm not an economist. So I, sure. I don't know what, what, what it's going to do uh, specifically, but I know it's going to go up and it's going to go significantly up significant. Um, yeah. And I think, I think companies that, Companies that get in these, these this trap of using historical data to go estimate work, which is cool. I mean, that's that's fantastic. You need to use data to go figure out what your historic you know productions have been, and so you can estimate work effectively. But they're they're not asking themselves how do we do this work more efficiently? Yeah. And okay, traditionally this has taken fifty hours. How do we do it in forty hours? Yeah. And it, it doesn't matter. I mean, sometimes it is a unit of of just time and measurement, but if you get everybody involved on how do we do this better, then you're way more efficient and you're way more profitable. And now you can pay people more for working less, which is a crazy thought. And maybe this is me being my naive 26 year old self saying that's true or, or it could be true, but I've seen companies do it and companies are doing it right now. Stupid profitable companies that have grown substantially multiple times over the past two, three years that I know very well, they don't work all that much. They work less than their competitors 
and they make way more money than their competitors. Now, God How damn it, possible? Aaron, those are communist ideals that you're spreading. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, honestly, yeah, one, of, exactly. one of my favorite podcasts that you guys did was, um, oh, I can't remember the name of the company out there in Hawaii that you guys were talking. They only work about a 40 hour work week, even though all their competitors are working, you know, 60 plus hours. Uh, yeah. What is that? What was that company? I can't yeah. remember. Truth Excavation. Yes, Kimo thank Clark. you. Truth Excavation. Yeah. That that podcast really, really intrigued me that, you know, here he is breaking the mold and he's not suffering for it. Like he's not, I mean, he's a profitable company, correct? Uh, yeah, now he is. Yeah, he got into a little bit of trouble, but yeah. And, and he's talked about that openly, which is why I mentioned it. But yeah, I mean, and he, he just kind of identified like, what's my priority? And my priority is, I like to surf. I have three young kids. I want to spend time with them. I don't want to be working all the time. So yeah, I just want to work four days a week. And like customers, clients, owners of projects, they, you know, sometimes stipulate how much you need to work, but they just want the job done. Yes. Within their deadline, they don't care. Within their deadline. They don't care. I mean, they care, like do it safely. Don't be killing people. And there, you know, maybe there are some, you can only work in traffic this, at, at this hour of day or it has to be nights or yeah, sure. There are constraints on a lot of projects. I don't sure. want to be stupid and say there aren't, but sure. most projects, it's just get the damn thing done by this date. We don't care how you do it. So if you, if you treat people like people and get everybody together and say, Hey guys, all right. So this is the deadline for this project. Here's the scope of work we have. Here's the budget we have. So here's how we estimated the damn thing. Here's the equipment we have available how do we figure out how to do this faster? If we can do this faster, we make more money and we don't have to work as much. Well, shit. I mean, if everybody, the whole crew's involved in making the plan and executing the plan, I I think that's pretty damn doable. And again, I don't run a construction company. I've never run a construction company. I don't know what I'm doing, but based on what I've seen, based on what I know, I think that's possible. Yeah. Well, let me switch gears on you a little bit and kind of go back to something we were talking about earlier, which is uh, the kind of shortage of people even considering the trades. Have you guys talked about, and and if you're willing to share, have you guys talked about getting involved at the high school level at all, you know, kind of starting to compete with these colleges, uh, recruiting people right out of high school? Because to me, that seems to be the biggest issue uh, is we have totally diverted everyone away from the trades and we just point them directly at colleges like there isn't another option. And I feel like we've got to get that other option back in those high schools and in those recruiting days, you know, that you that we're all familiar with, we all had to deal with. Um, have you guys talked about getting involved in that area at all? Um, man, I, I eventually we want to create tools to get involved. The way I see it is, we already reach a few million people every week online. Yeah. We're high school kids. They're online. Yeah. Okay. So we're already in high schools. And I, I see that as going into high schools as a contractor's responsibility, not my responsibility. Sure. And go into their communities, park his kids here in the parking lot, you know, and, 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 and get in front of these kids. But then there's also the reality of the situation that we must acknowledge. And that is that society's changed. Colleges have gotten really good at marketing. Yes. And they have they have fooled society into thinking that that's the only way forward. That's the way to success. So we need to be asking ourselves: Well, should we only be going to should we only be going to high schools, or should we be talking about the industry in college too? Because I mean, shit, 
the construction management program that I was a part of, I was in the engineering side of it, but the, the construction management program at Arizona State, everybody is making well over $60,000 a year with a company truck out of school, 100% job placement, when most most programs don't have nearly 50% job placement. Yeah. I mean, it's it, it, let's go talk to college kids. Okay, cool. You got a degree. You learned about yourself. Now let's think about construction because it's a badass place. Yep. Like instead of selling debt, sell a career. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know the solution. I, I know we need to talk to kids, but then also it's like I acknowledge the reality of the situation, and that's that high schools and school systems are funded now based on how many people they send to college, uh, and parents are you know they're pretty convinced that college is the way forward. So sure, do we need to get the construction industry in front of parents? high schools, schools in general. Absolutely. But we also need to go to colleges and talk about it there as well. Yeah. Hmm. That's an interesting thought. I hadn't really thought down that road before of actually going into the colleges. My, my, my role has always been, or my thought has always been catch them, catch them at that initial conversation of what do you want to do with your life? Because that's where so many of these kids that I come into contact with on, on the YouTube channel and Instagram uh, really get frustrated is, Literally everyone in their life, their teacher, their parents, their guidance counselor, and the colleges themselves are all telling them they're going to be a failure if they pursue the trades. Even though they've actively expressed a desire to go into the trades, everyone tells them, no, that's a, that's, I mean, you could do that, but you're going to fail. And I, I feel like we just, we've got to catch that conversation early and go, no, 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 no. As someone that is in the industry, let me tell you, you, you're not going to fail. In fact, there's a good chance you're going to make more money than your college counterparts coming out of it. So, um, yeah, but I'm, but I'd argue most people figure out what they want to do in college. That's like, true. I, I, point. I, I, and, and so I, I mean, at least that's when I figured it out and that's when everybody around me figured it out. And I, I think that's what college is for. I don't think you should be deciding what the hell you should do with your entire life when you're 18, 18 years old. I mean, fuck, that's insane. Um, so, and it's not, I'm not trying to make an argument for college, but I, I, I don't think it's necessarily the villain either. Um, it's just, it, it comes back to my original point. It's our responsibility. So reality is a lot of kids are going to college. A lot of people are going to college. College is not going away. It's this trillion dollar industry now that is not slowing down anytime soon. So yeah. we need to work with it rather than work against it. I sure. mean, really, I'm going to go, I'm going to go convince society not to go to college. Like that's, uh, I don't, we can do I, it, I just don't see that as a, we, we can it, do it. it. <laughs> may, may, you know, maybe we can, but I don't see that as a valuable use of my, energy right now. Sure. Sure. Well, anything, anything else that kind of sticks out to you? I, you know, you do have a very unique perspective because, uh, you're kind of, you're in that younger generation that is kind of coming into the trades in, in forgive me, but you you said all of your, your family, they are not tradesmen, correct? They're, they're more of the white collar world. I was never around the trades until I was 18 years old and started in construction. So that's awesome. Yeah, so that's uh, that, and that's what we need more of. But as a result, you have a very unique perspective on the trades because you didn't come in with any preconceived notions. Really, you didn't have these family ties that really set you up for. I know exactly what to expect. Was there anything that really stood out to you when you initially got into the trades? Of holy shit, I did not expect this, or you know, anything that stands out. It's hard work. I mean, shit, it is hard work, but. Yeah. The, uh, the whole, the, just the trades just stood out to me in general. 
just the whole experience stood out to me because it's like, holy shit, I can go bust my ass and feel this good about it and work with such great people and tell my boss to go fuck himself. And he tells me to go fuck myself and we're laughing about it. Like, gotcha, that's bitch. awesome. Or I, like, I, I, I bust my ass and, and I go lay like X amount of sticks of pipe. And then I get to see, hey, wow, we started here and now we're there. Yeah, I, get to, I get to drive by, you know, the inlets we, we built years ago. And I still think to myself, like, I, I helped those. I've been inside of those damn things, stripping forms. And, yeah. You know, mid, midsummer, it sucks. But there's this intense sense of pride that I'd never really had before until I started to work in the trades. And that's when I just, I, I don't know, it just got me. I just got in, I just so infatuated with that sense of, of pride and accomplishment. And, and that's why I'm such a big fan of, of this world. Now, am I to say, am, am I, you know, am I to claim that this is a perfect world? Absolutely not. It's really fucked up. It's really, really messed up. You know, we're number one for suicide. There's alcoholism rampant, divorce rampant, long, you know, stretches of time away from home. This, you know, the, the mental health is completely ignored. There's a lot of things we need to do differently. Yeah. It's, 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 a gnar- it's a gnarly world. Um, but it's a, it's a really great place to be. And I've experienced it personally and I'm a big fan of it. So I have no problem, um, trying to talk as many people as I can into it at the same time. Yeah. Well, I think that's actually a really good high note to end on. I know you've got a time constraint coming up, which I'm going to go ahead and, and play us the outro music. And, uh, if you want to hang around, we'll say our formal goodbyes kind of after the podcast. But, uh, before we kind of officially end this thing, anything you want to plug while you're on? No, not okay. at all. I mean, well, if you want, if you I want mean, I'll plug for stuff. you. Goddamn, come on here and, and I'll plug your podcast for you. Dirt Talk, check it out. Uh, sure. Buildwit, you know, check them out. Uh, is it Buildwit? No, your Instagram is actually your name, Aaron Witt, isn't it? Yeah, I changed it. So we have Buildwit and then Aaron Witt, A A R O N W I T T, Instagram, LinkedIn, anywhere. Okay. Well, you guys go check out, uh, go check out Buildwit, go check out Aaron's podcast, uh, Dirt Talk. And uh, thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you guys on the next episode of Sweat and Grime.